0: It's good. We are continuing. We're doing a, a little series called Gifted. And last week I talked about the gift of generosity. And I, I promised you I would do part two and, and do some application today. So we're gonna we're gonna continue with talking about generosity this morning. Just by way of review. Am I like is that just me or what? You hear it? Make it go away. Everybody turn around and make a really awkward face at the sound people right now. It's just There you go, stare at them. Look at Matt, Matt's smiling because he's not really the sound guy, he's just a friend of. All right, review from last week, we looked at Matthew when he talked about seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That, that's the formula, here you go, that, that's the formula for financial freedom. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you worry about money, and we took a little survey last week, and I think it was somewhere in the 98 percentile of folks that said, yeah, at some point or another in my life, I've worried about money. If you worry about money, Jesus says that by seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, that you can be free from that. And so, uh, as I said last week, simple formula, not always simple to follow. It's challenging to be able to do that on a continual basis in our lives. But as we grow in our faith and in our trust of Jesus, um, we, we, we can attain that on greater and greater levels in our life. The other, another thing we went over last week, we talked about an offering that was taken by the Macedonian church to give to the Apostle Paul to help support his ministry. And in, in 2 Corinthians 8, when Paul talks about that, he says this, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And I said, that's, a, that's an interesting statement. I think that's one of the more interesting statements in Scripture. It sounds like an oxymoron. In our context today, <clears throat> in the world that we live in, I don't know that we would ever use the words overflowing joy and extreme poverty in the same sentence. Those two things generally do not go together. I'm telling you, man, I'm cursed. I'm cursed. Every time I start talking. <coughs> Those two things don't normally go together. However, again, in the upside-down kingdom of God, they do. Um, Poverty is not necessary. okay, so let me see, in our culture, poverty is very often equated with um, anxiety, concern, worry, depression, all those kinds of things. But in God's kingdom, it not- doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, if we seek first God's kingdom, we-, we can find the joy of the Lord even in the midst of of trials and difficult times. And when we seek God's kingdom, our poverty doesn't control our lives because we know who we are, we know what we're for, and we know who our God is. And so that was, uh, I think, an important point from last week. And the last thing we talked about was sowing and reaping. And I said to you, sowing and reaping is a principle, not a promise. And what I mean by that, sometimes we take Scripture... And we, we stand on this scripture and we believe that's what's going to happen. Biblical principle means this that generally speaking that's what will happen. <coughs> generally speaking, if you sow generously, you will re- whose child is that? It's my granddaughter. she's beautiful. look at her. She's the cutest little thing in the whole wide world. And she has cheeks, man, she's just got cheeks. Um, if you sow generously, it's, it's very likely that you will reap generously. If you sow sparingly, Jesus says it's likely that you'll reap sparingly. That's, that's a principle that we can more or less count on uh, to work in the, in the context of our lives. But the focus, and, and, and here's the key really, the focus is always from a kingdom perspective on the giving, not on the receiving. And as I said last week, that's where I struggle a little bit with some of the prosperity teaching we hear today today. Again, I think (coughs) that what's shared in a prosperity teaching is essentially true, except that the emphasis is always put on the receiving part rather than the giving part. And I believe biblically that the emphasis is put on the giving, not on the receiving. So that's a little bit of a uh, a follow-up from last week. Let's, uh, let's pray real quick, and then I have one more passage of Scripture I want to look at today, and then we will get to some application. So Lord, I just ask you to open our hearts this morning, and you allow us to uh, grow and learn from you in our ability to uh, be generous and to seek first your kingdom and to live our lives out uh, by the direction and the guidance that you give for us in your word. Amen. All right, real quick story here. Uh, from Matthew, well, not real quick, but a fairly quick story from Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Jesus says again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So the it there is in reference to the kingdom of God. Uh, he's teaching in this section a series of parables on the kingdom, and he re- refers back to the previous parable. So it, uh, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey, and uh, he's going to be gone for a while, some period of time, and he is a, he's wealthy, he's a, he's a landowner, he has assets, and he's going to entrust those things to some of his servants while he's gone. This is a, a common scene. A parable is a story that teaches a truth that people can relate to. So it's a story that's told in a context that people understand. And in the first century, people would have understood this. It would not be uncommon at all for a wealthy landowner to uh, go away for a while. He's going to take a trip, either a little vacay or maybe business, who knows, doesn't specify, doesn't matter. But while he's gone, he wants to make sure that things are taken care of. He has some, some employees, some servants, and he entrusts them with his belongings while he's gone. So a couple things just sort of by way of introduction to the story. First of all, it's his wealth, okay? It's it's his wealth. That's the point of the story. Um, he's entrusting it to them. They get to play with it for a little while. It's kind of fun. Somebody says to you, hey, here's, here's $100,000. I want you to go invest it. Have fun with it, and I'll be back in a while, and we'll see how you did. And so that's kind of fun. You get to, you get to make some decisions and, and do some stuff. But at the end of the day... It's still his wealth. We said last week, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. God owns it. It's, it's his property. It's his life. Our lives are his. Everything we own is from him, uh, and it's, it's a, a, as such on loan to us. He lets us uh, use it for a season, and, uh, and then he takes it back. And the second thing is that the owner entrusts this wealth, to his servants. So here's Miriam Webster's definition of entrust. It's to confer a trust on or especially to deliver something in trust to. So I have something and I'm going to deliver it to you because I trust you to take care of it for me. That's what I do. It's to commit to another with confidence. I am doing this not blindly or foolishly, but with confidence that they will take care of it for him. So that's the background. Now, let's look at the rest of the story. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Remember that little phrase, because it'll, we'll come back to that in a little while. Then he went on his journey, and the man who received five bags of gold went at once, and he put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money." After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who would received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came... Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. (coughs) The man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servants. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put the money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't say that at the end. (coughs) Okay. There are two different perspectives in the story. The first two guys just basically did their job. Um, they, They took what had been entrusted to them, given to them with confidence, and they invested it. And so the response back to them was a few things. Well done, so they get get an attaboy, right? Well done, good and faithful servant, first of all. Second of all, come, enter into your master's joy. There's happiness and joy that's to be shared now, and you get to participate in that for what you've done. And then third... Because you've been faithful with little, I will now give you more. That's, that's the principle of sowing and reaping. That's the idea behind the story is that when you take what you have and, and you use it wisely, you sow it into the kingdom of God, he then multiplies that and will give you then more. We said last week, you give to get to give to get to give to get to give. It's always cyclical. And the more that you give, the more that you share, the more that you get. So that's the way it worked for for uh, servant number one, servant number two. <coughs> Our third friend here though uh he he takes this opportunity to throw a little shade at the master, and he says, "Well, you know, I know you're kind of a hard guy, and you know you take what's not yours and 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 you and, you, and you, that's just sort of the way you work, kind of what he does here is he, he he calls the master kind of a, a crook doesn't he he says you're not really honest you you take what's not yours you do this and that uh, i don't know if you've ever heard anything like that before see it's it's not really me it's not my problem it's my boss my wicked boss that's the that's the problem it's my, no it's my it's a guy next door he it's the go- government keeps me down man the government always keeps me down it's every, it's the wife god gave me it's always Somebody else, everybody else, it's their problem. It's not that I'm fearful. It's not that I'm selfish. It's not that I have these problems. It's everybody else's problem except me. I don't know. The master, the story tells us, and I said we'd come back to this, he gave to each according to his ability. And so the master hired these guys. He, he knew them. He'd watched them. He'd seen them in action. And he kind of knew what they were capable of, right? Isn't that the way it works? If you're the, ma- the manager at a place, you know, you kind of know which employees you can trust, which you can't. You know which are going to work hard and which aren't. So he says, this guy's worth five bags. I'll give him five. This guy's worth two. And Dave gets one. He said he's going to sit up front and harass me so I can harass back. How's that? Um. The one talent guy, I think, might be a little bit jealous here. He might be a little bit bitter. Well, he got five bags, and he got two bags, and I only got one bag. He doesn't realize the way you become a five-bag guy is by being a good one-bag guy. Well, you know, I, I just can't afford... To give right now. We're really tight. It's so hard to make ends meet at the end of the month. I just I I I I don't I I don't think I can really afford to give. And he doesn't realize that the way you become a five back guy is by being a good one back guy. You'll be entrusted with much when you show that you can be faithful with little. And furthermore, and here really I think is maybe the greater reward, is that you enter into the Master's happiness. Look, there's a joy that comes with being faithful. There just is. And you can't experience that, and I, 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 I speak from experience, you can't experience that until you take that step of faith and actually trust God with what you have. And then you know the joy that comes from being faithful with what you have and and watching God be able to bless it. You can't experience that. You can't enter into that until you actually step out in faith and do it. There's joy in participating in sowing into God's kingdom because that's what we're created to do. That's who we're created to be. And so we're, 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 we're stepping into who we are and what our real purpose is when we do that. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And He's entrusted them to us to sow into His kingdom. He says, I want you to participate with me in my work, and this is how we can do it together. And when we do that, we, we really are stepping out into who we've been created to be. If if we don't do that, and we hold back out of fear, we give into to that fear of not having enough and, and not letting go of what I have, I want, I want you to know that we play directly into the hands of the enemy. That's exactly what he wants us to do. We can overcome that fear by trusting God and breaking free from what I believe. And I, I'm going to say this, and it's going to make some of you mad. We break free from what I believe is a fundamental American mindset. It's my life. It's my life. It's my money. I'll do what I want with it because it's mine. I earned it, and it's mine. And why is that true? It's because it's my right. I have rights. I have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and I can do what I want, and I don't have to do what you tell me to do. And you know what? Legally, that's true. That's the law. And you can do that. And, le- and I suppose it's a good law. But biblically... Theologically, it's false, and it could not be further from the truth, because the truth is that it's not yours, it's God's, and He's entrusted it to you. And when you hold on to it under the name that it's mine, you've deceived yourself. It's a cultural stronghold that we live under in our country, and I really believe that. And I would say this, break free. Break free. Just, you know what, go give some stuff away. Just do it. You, know, you see how good it feels. Break free from that cultural stronghold. Let go. Don't hold on. Let go. We're created to be generous because the God that we serve is a generous God. He gives sacrificially, willingly, freely, and joyfully, and that's who He's created us to be. That's the image that we're created in. Do you remember the, um, that whole loaves and fishes thing? That story? You remember that? Okay, so big crowd... Long sermon. And at the end of the day, it's lunchtime. People are getting hangry. There are no Snickers bars. The disciples come to Jesus and they go, Jesus, we got to get rid of these people. Make them go home. And they're, they're, there's a lot. There's 5,000 people out there. They're hungry. They want food. And, and, you know, make them go home. It's lunchtime. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they say, what? Well, you know the story, right? Little kid has lunch. He's got five little unleavened biscuits, drier than anything. Two little sardines. And they take that, and they feed the crowd, and there's a bunch left over at the end. Let me ask you a question. When did the miracle happen? when they gave it away. The miracle happened when they gave it away and not a moment sooner. And I and I believe, it's not in this story, I, I I am admittedly reading between the lines here, but I believe that when they gave to the first person, they had enough to feed the next person. No more. I don't think all of a sudden they had baskets. I think they gave it to this guy and they oh, wait, I got enough for the next guy. They gave it to the next guy. And I think that every one of those 5,000 people represented another step of faith that they had to take in breaking and giving and sharing and seeing God multiplied. All right, perfect, man. I promised you some applications. So here we go. I want you to um, buckle your seatbelts, put your seatbacks upright, fold your tray tables, and maybe put on crash helmets. Because... We're going to look at Glenn's four helpful household hints on how to submit your finances to God's kingdom and break free from the cultural stronghold that says, I won't have enough. Come on, baby. Preach it. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to deepen your commitment to the kingdom. Yes, that's right. Pray. Uh, You know, it's always a risk, isn't it? Here's my my, my, uh, quotable quote for the day. Prayer is always risky business. Prayer is risky business. Um, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Pray this way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. When you take a step of faith and you begin to pray that way, here's the problem. Very often, God will do it. How much, seek first the kingdom of God. How big of a value, how high of a priority is the kingdom of God really to us? Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to deepen your commitment and see what He might do. But beware. Number two, get honest and get informed. We deceive ourselves. Uh, You might recall last week I shared with you that the average American gives 2.8% of their income to charitable, in charitable contributions every year. 2.8%. And yet, when surveyed, survey says, the average American also considers himself to be very generous. 2.8%, low number in my book, they think they're very generous. Why is that? I'll tell you why, because they don't really know how much they give. Most people don't know how much they give. I want to share with you a story about a a hero of mine, a guy named Rick Warren, pastors a large church in Southern California called Saddleback Community. And um, right about the time Donna and I moved to Portland in the mid-90s, Warren's church was just starting to prosper and grow, and it was kind of the uh, church of what's happening now, sort of the new up-and-coming big church in Orange County. So we actually took a Sunday off uh, right before we left. Uh, from Anaheim, and we went and, and visited Rick's church. And, I, and I'm frankly, and here's my cynical nature, I'm just being honest, I walked away kind of unimpressed. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. A little showy, a little Hollywood for me. I don't know. You know. Um, since that time, I have, I have grown to deeply, deeply admire Rick. Uh, you might know him as the author of The Purpose Driven Life, okay? probably, I don't know, maybe the best-selling Christian book in the history of ever. And so um, Warren wrote that book, but that's not really what I admire about Rick. This is what I admire about him. Kay is his wife. This is from an article Rick wrote on a, a website. Kay and I became reverse tithers. When we got married 30 years ago, we began tithing 10%. Each year we would raise our tithe 1% to stretch our faith. 11% the first year, 12% the second year, 13% the third year. Every time I give, it breaks the grip of materialism in my life. Every time. Every time I give, it makes me more like Jesus. Every time I give, my heart grows bigger. And so now we give away 90% and we live on 10%. That was actually the easy part, what to do with the money. Just give it away because I'm storing up treasures in heaven. That's legit. The guy gives away 90% of his income and lives on 10. But here's the kicker. He says that was the easy part. You want to know what the hard part was for him? Was giving his life away. So if you read the rest of the article, that's the link. But you don't have to copy that all down. I'll send it to you if you want it. Um, (coughs) So Warren is writing books, you know, pastoring his church, and his wife, Kay, reads this article about AIDS orphans in Africa. And it says there is something to the effect of 25 million children who have been orphaned in Africa by AIDS. And she goes, my God, I had no idea. And then she starts thinking and she goes, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know any orphans. And then she says, I don't know if I've ever even, if I know anybody that has AIDS. And so the Spirit of God touches her heart, and she signs up to go with some ministry on on a trip to Africa, and she sees what God's doing there, and it just breaks her heart. So she starts going back again and again, and she gets more and more involved, and she gets more and more involved, and pretty soon she launches her own ministry. She's working with, with kids in Africa, and she says to Rick one day, hey, Rick, I want you to go with me to Africa. And he says, well, you know, that's your gig. That's, kind of, that's what you do. I have my ministry. He goes, I write books and speak at conferences. And she says, well, I don't know. Why don't you just go with me? So he says, okay, okay. He, he's really just being, you know, the compliant husband here. To appease his wife, he goes along, and God breaks his heart. And so now Rick Warren doesn't do so much in the way of books and conferences anymore. He spends most of his time working with ministries and organizations helping AIDS orphans in Africa and gives away 90% of his income. And I'm I'm going to... Some of you, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here this morning. You're going to say, okay, well, the guy's got a lot of money, so if you have that much money, it's easy to give away 90 and live on 10. And I'm going to say back to you two things. Number one is... The reason he has a lot of money is because he made the decision to give before he had the money. And God did exactly what we've been saying God will do. And every time Rick gave, he blessed him with more, blessed him with more, and blessed him with more. And he kept giving more and giving more and giving more. And that's exactly how it works. The second thing I'll say to you is this, that he still made the choice to give. Nobody said you have to give away 90%. Look, at, let me, let's be honest about it. He could say, I'm going to give 15%. The national average is 2.8. 10 is, 10 is the high-water mark. I'm giving 15. I'm way ahead of the game. And he could, he could easily justify that and, and, and just make everybody happy. But he says, you know what? That's not enough. That's not enough. And he really does. And he's, there's a growing number of people that are working towards doing what Rick and others are doing, which is to, to continue to give away more and more and more of their income all the time. My point is simply this. Take an inventory. How much do you give? Do you know what percentage you give? Do you know how much? Do you know where your money goes? Do you know where your discretionary income goes? Do you know how much money you spend at Starbucks every month? My daughter and I had a conversation about this. I said, well, I don't know. I think I spend this much. She goes, well, wait a minute. Time out. How many times do you go a week? And she's punching numbers. How much do you spend each time? She goes, no. You you know, you, you spend this much. It's twice as much as you said you thought you spent. Who asked you? Find out how much. Third, oh, man. Let Jesus do an audit. Audit is probably one of the most frightening words in the English language. Uh, but I want to say this, and by way of encouragement, Jesus is not like the IRS. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Jesus will not charge you penalties and interest and interest on the penalties. Uh, he will not seize your assets. He will not put a lien on your property. Um, Jesus is very gracious, but I would ask you to consider inviting him into the process of making your annual budget and sit down under the guidance of the Spirit of God and just say, okay, Lord, what do you think we should do? If, 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 in fact, everything I have is yours and you've given it to me, then I want to invite you into the process of helping me determine what we're going to do with it and allow Jesus to look at your ledger of accounts and work with you on where you go next and then fourth and finally develop a plan um just just make some concrete decisions just makes you know it's just like anything else in life if we're not intentional it's never going to happen and so you can't you can't sit here and go yeah that's true i probably should do that or i want to give more uh you need to sit down and just go here's the plan Here's the point. I mean, Donna and I have. I'll just share at different times in our life. We we have done what what Rick and Kay did. We never cut to ninety, but we'd say we're going to go up one percent a year. That was our strategy. We've made other decisions at other times, um, in terms of concrete. This is this year what we're going to do and how we're going to give and where we're going to give things like that. Uh, and and God has always, always, always blessed those things. Um, always, I, I will say, in thirty six years of marriage, uh, and and really doing our very best to. to to uh, be faithful. God has always blessed those decisions we made. So, uh, look, uh, let me just say this. You you can only only give according to where your faith is today. And I would never ask you to do any more than that. So if you say, I don't have faith to give 10%, then I would say, well, give 5%. Or do an inventory. Where are you at? If you give 3% now, say, I'm going to give 4% next year. And five percent the year after that, and six percent the year after that. And, and just think about it. If you do that, eighty five or six years from now, you'll be right there with Rick Warren giving away ninety percent, right? I mean just just sit down and, 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 and allow the spirit of God to lead you and guide you, and then make a plan. And know that faith is faith, and you're gonna have to be stretched a little bit, but go with where you where you can go today.